0: are you ready to praise the king of kings and lord of lords let's stand on our feet and praise him and lift up the mighty name of jesus amen he's the king of heaven and everything else by your power every giant falls by your name there are miracles your love is greater than the fears that we hold to by your wonder you have opened wide the gates of heaven and the earth collide we seem to move and there's nothing you can't do So wake we are desperate. Let our hearts awake, we are desperate for your kingdom. Come, breathe revival. Let the darkness run, King of heaven. Come and fill this place with your presence. Let our hearts awake, we are desperate for your kingdom. Come, breathe revival. Let the darkness run. Let our hearts awake We are desperate for your kingdom Come, breathe revival Let the darkness run Aren't you glad that he's the king of heaven? Amen As I saw Satan fall like lightning I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven And I believe in signs and wonders and I have resurrection power The miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven My praise belongs to you forever This is my testimony from death to life As grace rewrote my story I'll testify Christ the righteous, I'm justified This is my testimony, this is my
1: testimony
0: we we'll come together, something taught us Bought with blood and washed in water the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father, our God, will finish what He started. Oh, our God, will finish what He started. This is my testimony from death to life. His grace rewrote my story. This Since my testimony yeah.
1: If I'm not dead, you're not done
0: Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe If I'm not dead, you're not done Yes, Lord Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe If I'm not dead, then you're not done Greater things are still to come This is my testimony, from death to life As grace rewrote my story, I'll justify Jesus Christ the righteous, I'll justify This is my testimony Done. Father, you're not done with us. Greater things are still to come. No matter what's going on in your life. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Yet. Greater things are still to come. Oh, don't believe the lies of the enemy. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. Yes, Lord. Greater things are still to come, oh I believe, if I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come, oh I believe. If I'm not dead, then you're not done, yeah. Greater things are still to come. If I'm not dead. Oh my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony oh let's sing that again This is my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story i'll testify by jesus christ the righteous i'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony well oh, Father God, thank you for the testimony. Thank you for not leaving us where we were, for not leaving us in the in the trenches, in the in the miry clay. But Lord, let you pull this out. Oh. There's so many lies that the enemy speaks to you. Maybe when you're by yourself or when things are going bad, but it says in the songs as if I'm not dead, then you're not done if I still have breath in my lungs then the king of kings and the lord of lord is not done with you if you still can take a deep breath if you still have air in your lungs if you're still here on this planet then there's still plans that he has for you that are not been fulfilled yet tomorrow is still in his hands tomorrow he's already lined up for you never think that it's over Never think that you've done too much, that you've gone too far, because tomorrow is in his hands. And he's already planned it before the beginning of time. He's already set it in motion. You can't see it. I can't see it. But I have to trust in the one that does. I have to trust in the one that holds my tomorrow. He's my champion. He's the one that defeated death hell in the grave on the cross. He's the one that went down into the pits and ripped every authority away from the enemy from Satan. He holds my tomorrow. And if I can't believe that then there then Satan has convinced me otherwise. But at this moment right now decide to look for tomorrow. Decide to look up into the heavens where your help comes from. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten you. He knows what happened. It's for somebody in here. He knows what happened. You've not hidden it from him. He knows what happened. But the great thing about his mercy, he knows what happened, but he also knows what's going to happen. And his mercies are new every morning. And his plans for you are greater than you could ever imagine or think. In the midst of who you are, he doesn't expect you to be perfect. That's his job. He's restoring you right now. Let him restore you right now, oh, let him restore you right now, oh, let him restore you right now. He's the God of tomorrow, he's the God of today. The present, past, and future He holds it all in his hands Just trust in him Just trust in him Just trust in him Just trust in him Cause he is my champion He is my champion oh against the lies of the enemy right now In Jesus' name I come against the lies of the enemy In your head right now Oh Greater things are still to come Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe Oh, greater things are still to come. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. There's still breath in your body. It's never too late. There's still air in your lungs. It's never too late. Oh, yeah. He's reaching out his hand, just grab it right now. And I've tried so hard to see it. It took me so long to believe it. You choose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it. You give what we don't deserve it. You take the broken thing Raise them to glory. And you are my champion. And giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you won, I am who you say I am. You crown me. With confidence, I am seated in the heavenly place, undefeated with the One who is conquered.
1: Now I can. So let all the striving cease This is my victory Oh, let's sing that again Now I can finally see it Teaching me how to receive it So let all the striving cease is my view
0: shout every wall comes crashing down I have the authority Jesus has given me when I open up my mouth miracles start breaking out I have the authority has given me When I lift my voice and shout Every wall comes crashing
1: Every wall comes crashing down Have the authority Oh, that Jesus, Jesus has given me When I open up my mouth miracle start
0: champion Giants fall when you stand undefeated Every battle you won I am who you say I am You crown me with confidence I am seated the heavenly place undefeated
1: with the one who has conquered it all
0: father thank you for conquering it all thank you for conquering it all father oh the name above every name the name of jesus Father, everything that we have is yours.
1: I'm a lover of your presence I'm a lover of your presence That's all I want to be I'm a lover of your presence I'm a lover of your presence I was made for love, I was made for love, I was made for loving You I was made for love, I was made for love, I was made for love
0: presence I'm a lover of your presence it's all I wanna be I'm a lover of your presence I'm a lover of your presence I'm a lover of your presence
1: it's all I want Made for loving you, yeah. I was made for love. I was made for love. I was made for loving you. We are lovers of Your presence. We are lovers of Your presence. We are lovers of Your presence. of your presence we lovers of your presence we lovers of your presence we lovers of your presence mm-hmm. we lovers of your presence we lovers of your presence We we lovers of your presence yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovers of your presence, lovers of your presence. I was made, I was made for love. I was made for love. I was made. made for love Give myself, give myself to you. Yes, my life is not my own. To you I belong. Give myself, give myself to you. Yes, my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself to Give myself to you Yes, my life is not my own To you I belong Give myself, give myself to you Give myself away Give myself away So you Myself away, so you can use me. Give myself away, every part of my heart. Lord. Give myself away, so you can use me. See this part, ready? Because my life is not my own, to you I belong myself give myself to you my life is not my own to you I belong give myself give myself to you yes my life is not my own to you I belong give myself Myself to you. My life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself, give myself to you. We're gonna sing that one more time. But everyone in this house of me has something to be thankful for. So can we lift our hands to the one who deserves all of our worship? can we sing can I I give myself away give myself away Oh God give myself away so you can use me give myself away oh I surrender Give myself away So you can use me Give myself away Oh, I lay my life at your feet, Jesus Give myself away So you can use me Give myself away myself away, so you can use me, give myself away. you can have it
0: all, you can have it all, you can have it all. can have it all
2: These last couple songs that we've been singing have had an undercurrent or theme behind them. And immediately I was thinking in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, when John's caught up into heaven and he sees everything that's going on. And the last verse of that chapter says this. It talks about the four preachers around the throne and the 24 elders that are on the throne and that they fall before his throne and they cast their crowns at his feet and they say you are worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and for your pleasure they are and were created that that part there that says all things means you means me we were created for his pleasure not pleasure like a child playing with the toy but pleasure that brings joy to the father and so when we sing songs like i give you it i give you my all i I surrender all i i come and do this you know what that does that that brings pleasure to the father because it's a willing surrender it's a willing choosing to come and god says this is why you were created you were created, you and I were created. That that in our surrender, in our living out our life, it would bring a smile to the Father. It would bring pleasure to the Father, because He's worthy. Right? He's worthy. He's He's worthy of all praise. He's worthy of all glory. He's worthy of all honor. And so, by us doing that, it it just it glorifies Him. And so. What we're doing this morning just re edifies what John saw happening around the throne. He says, And for your pleasure, they are and were created. That means you are created with a divine purpose. You are created with a divine purpose. Your life has value, your life is worthy. Of something because he is worthy and you were created in his image so when we come and we willingly bow and we willingly raise our hands and we willingly just say Lord I give you my all I give you everything that brings pleasure to the Father so this is biblical in fact this is just a warm-up of what's coming When we see him face to face, how many of you want to see him face to face? How many have a a feeling those who say, I'm not going to sing too loud because I don't want nobody to hear me. Have a feeling when you see him, you're not going to worry about that. You're going to lift your hand. Nobody's got to, to say, can you just lift your hand one time? Oh, no, no, no. Just try and keep my hands down. Just keep, you know, get out of the way. I want to get up to the front. Come on. How many? Sure. Father, we just thank you and we praise you this morning. We thank you for your presence because your word says that when we gather together, that there you are. You enthrone yourselves upon the praises of your people. And Lord, we've willingly come this morning. We've chosen to be here. We've chosen to gather together. And you have come with your presence. What a joy it is. What just glory it is just to sense your presence, Lord. I speak peace right now to any person who's walked in this place or who may be listening this morning that's had a time of confusion and disruption in their life. I just feel the Lord's just saying, let my peace be upon you. Let my peace be upon you right now. And now Holy Spirit, you know the mind of the Father you know his purpose for each and every one of us today bring that purpose to pass let that kingdom purpose be brought forth in our lives and through our lives in this place today in Jesus name in Jesus name amen amen praise the Lord amen hallelujah well it's good to see you this morning look at your neighbor and say it's good to be seen (laughs) hallelujah thank you worship team we appreciate it in fact uh Next weekend, they'll be headed on the road. Uh, many of them will be headed on the road to Ohio to the National Fine Arts. Yeah. And uh, so be praying for them as they leave uh, on that trip. And the next two Sundays, a lot of these that are up here will be gone. And uh, a few of them will still be around, thank goodness. <laughs> and um, But uh, we praise God for that, um, that they're getting the opportunity to compete and be blessed not just the competition part that's that's what it is it, it's about but the services that happen and lives are changed and young people come home and adults come home on fire for God amen praise the Lord let me make a real quick announcement if I can slide is up on the board that um, there's an informational meeting um, this sunday today 's twenty first twenty third that says twenty yeah, what well, hey, this sunday um, I was just told to put it up there it 's up there um, uh, fine arts kids uh, it 's after the service and uh, in the prayer room right across the hall and this is for um, information for uh, kids seven through twelve or first through sixth grade, okay? And Pastor Tracy would be meeting with you across the hall, so she wanted me to make that announcement. And then I just want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving financially. We don't pass a basket or, or, or anything like that um, here on a regular basis. We do for special offerings and stuff like that. But we thank you for your faithfulness in giving God's word. You cannot outgive God. The Bible says that the tithe is the Lord's. I've had people tell me, I pay my tithes. I said, no, you don't. I said, the tithe is God's, and you don't pay your tithes. You, you pay a tithe, and that is the Lord's, But we are stewards of what God gives us, and we have four different ways of doing it. Uh, there are two offering boxes on the back wall back there. You're welcome to fill out an envelope, drop it in there, or, or however you choose to drop it in there. There's apps for Android phones, iPhones that you can download. There's a text give, and that's our number on there. And there's also the website. You know, I remember when website give, it, that was the big thing. And nobody hardly uses a website to give anymore; they automatically use their phone or something like that. Uh, Technology just keeps changing, and I'm just I'm thankful for it. It just makes it so easy. Um, You know, you don't have to remember to write out checks. And and you know, the other day I got a notice from a certain bank that uh, for every check that you write now, you're going to be charged a service fee. Now, did you know banks are charging if you make deposits with cash? I'm like, this is, yeah, it's getting, it, it, they're just pushing us to a cashless society, and which is but biblical. So, you know, it's not, you know, so the text to give is easy or the app, I use the app myself and it's the easiest way for me to do it. But anyway, um, praise God. Let me get in the message this morning. I want to read from two scriptures first to kind of set the foundation for this. And it's from Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. And it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And then Matthew 4 and 4 says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we've been on a series uh, the last several weeks looking at um, hot-button issues, or what I would continue, hot-button issues. And so today's message is called Biblical Jeopardy. Now, there is a game called Bible Jeopardy out there. But this, I'm titling this Biblical Jeopardy. Um, let me kind of explain why. Um, as again, like I said, we've been talking about issues, we've been talking about uh, everything from um, uh, racism to um, just a number of things that Christians are having to confront in, in the culture of the day, and uh, this one to me is a really important one, it's not so much the culture but it is the culture that is developed within the church as a whole, especially in America. Recently, a a youth minister, a celebrity youth minister, I'm going to say it that way because it's a well-known individual, expressed his zeal for uh, Jesus to a mainstream journalist, okay? And so the journalist was anti-religion, Christian, whatever, uh, so they were very antagonistic. And then, so in the interview, this journalist asked this celebrity famous youth pastor um, to name the Ten Commandments. And that youth pastor w- uh, struggled to come up with six of them. And when they asked him uh, Jesus, the names of, of Jesus' disciples, he said, uh, I don't remember them all, so I'm not even going to try. Now, that may seem insignificant, but there are certain things that stand out. For example, um, fewer than half of the adults in America can even name the four Gospels. This is all new information. Most Christians cannot even identify two or three disciples. Sixty percent of All Americans cannot even name five of the Ten Commandments. I think which is ironic in that in the last number of years, we've had court cases about removing the Ten Commandments out of courtrooms and places like that. And yet most Americans can't name five of them. Uh, A recent um, episode of the TV game show Jeopardy, Really kind of exemplifies what I want to talk about this morning, so I'm just going to show this to you um, Where's my volume? Y'all turn me off. Don't turn off my volume. <laughs> you got it up? 200. Matthew 6:9 says our father
1: which art in heaven this be thy name Hallowed be thy name
2: They didn't even know the word hallowed. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And what, what amazes me is on Twitter, it blew up like you wouldn't believe. And most of the people, uh, you, I couldn't use the quotes that they put on there because of the language that they used. And yet they knew the answers and they were, they were blasting these three individuals on the TV game show that they didn't even know it. So when you take into account these things, it's no wonder that people break the Ten Commandments all the time because they don't know what they are. Uh, Significant research confirms that biblically and theologically educated Americans are an endangered species even within the church. And the technical name for that is biblical illiteracy. Years ago, I moved to Tennessee to open a restaurant and I happened to move to a county that was 32% illiterate. And so you can imagine when people would drive come into the restaurant uh, and look at the menu, they'd, they'd order by the picture and they'd go, I want that. Now, imagine, it, it, I'm just going to tell you it was a sonic drive in our own, so imagine pulling in and looking at the menu and go, I want that, and the person on the other side is looking at a speaker. They're not seeing a car, and they have no clue what you're pointing at. They have no idea because they, they couldn't read. 32% of the county was illiterate, and and, and according to Pew Research Group, Americans including churchgoers aren't reading much of any book anymore including what we used to call the good book the bible in fact professing christians in america today claim to believe that the bible is god's word they claim that it's divinely inspired they claim that it's it's god's message to us and yet a LifeWay research study found that only 45% who regularly attend church services read the Bible more than once a week. It's almost 50% of people who attend only say that they read the Bible more than once a week. 50% don't. More than 40% of people attending services read their Bible only once a week. Or twice a month and survey shows that almost one out of every five churchgoers in America one in five never read it never read the Bible now we it because we don't know God's Word it follows that we don't know it that 82% of Americans believe that this phrase god helps those who help themselves is a scripture verse my my late mother-in-law used to say that all the time to me and and i would just, and so one time she said, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And I said, "Yes, yeah, it's Hezekiah 3 4. And I've told people that, they tell me that all the time, Hezekiah 3-4, that's it. And they go, that's it, that's it. And in case you don't know, there's no Hezekiah, there's no 3, and there's no 4. Some of you are thinking, Hezekiah 3-4, Hezekiah 3-4, I'm going to remember where that's at. Even among born-again-believing Christians, 81%, 81%, that's four out of five, okay, believe that the Bible teaches that the primary purpose in life is to take care of one's family. 12% of adults in America believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. 50% 50% of graduating high school seniors thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And a significant portion of Americans throughout thought the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Now we're all laughing because it seems like it can't be real. But this is real. This is where this is where our nation is. This is where church people are in America today. And you know, and I, was like, I thought about it. And I said maybe Google has just made us stupid. You know, we got smartphones and stupid people carrying them. I don't. I don't know. You know, how many of you remember when you used to be able to remember phone numbers? I mean. I could remember every phone number I had ever had until I got one of those phones. And we store the phone number in there and now I don't need to know the phone. Now I don't even have to look it up. I just go, hey Siri, call so and so. And they go, it's call they're calling, right? I mean and, and 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 maybe it's lost it's caused us to lose the ability to consecrate con- concentrate. Or or maybe um, we're just surrounded by too many distractions. I know that because I don't know about you, but I am so tired of getting stopped at a red light because inevitably four out of five cars of drivers in front of me are going to be on their phone during the red light. And when the light turns green, they're going to be hearing my horn. Hello? You never saw people doing that with a book. Right? You never saw people walk off sidewalks or into traffic carrying a book. No, but, they, but they've got this little thing in their hand and they're now a slave to it. We live in the age of scrolling through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We scroll looking for a good meme, a cute story, or a ninety-second video for 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 input into our lives. It's like we can't get. If it's more than that, we we can't we we can't hold our attention to it. We we're like "Mm, no mm, no mm, mm." you know we're just going like this, and it has become ingrained in us and we've lost sight of what the scripture talks about feeding on the word of God we've forgotten what it is the bible says he has set a table in the wilderness in the presence of our enemies he is he's decked out a feast for us but we're like and trying to grab something that's going to sustain us spiritually okay we want someone else in this day and age to decipher what's in this book and then break it down for us in a few Bible nuggets. And, and, and we fail to realize the problems that are facing us because of this culture that's enveloped and and become integrated into the lives, especially people in the church today. Psalms 119 and 11. It, It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the lack of knowing God's word places us in the position of sinning against God. If, we've, if we're not hiding his word in our heart that I might not sin against God, then the lack of knowing it places me in the position of sinning against God. So it's no wonder the church has lost its impact in today's culture. So I want to give you five consequences of being Bible illiterate. Okay, And the first one is that we assume the character of, of God, In other words, what I'm saying is we make assumptions about the character of God. God reveals himself through creation and through his word. If we base our knowledge of God on anything other than scripture, we end up characterizing him based on two things. our Cultural input. What the culture tells us God is, or some person tells us what God is, or who God is, or our feelings. Those are not two things that I want to build my life on. What somebody else tells me is right, based on what they think is right, or my feelings. And, and, and both of these are like shifting sands that are constantly changing because culture's changing, constantly changing. Our feelings change. One day we're up, one day we're down. Sometimes we're down, down. Sometimes we're way up. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's constantly changing. And so what happens is we, we begin to question the character of God. We begin to question when things conflict, our poorly informed theology. You follow what I'm saying? If if we think that God is this and something con- conflicts that, now we're conflicted on the inside. And because we based our belief on something that wasn't true. Okay? James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lives, who does not change, say that part, does not change like shifting shadows. He is unchanging. Doesn't matter what's going on down here. God doesn't change. He said, I always was, I always will be, and I'm not going to change. That's an incredible thing. Regardless how we may feel, regardless of what we're going through, God's not going to change. Nobody can decree God to change. Nobody can force God to change. He's not going to change because then he would no longer be who he is. I'm glad something is for sure in a very unsure world. There's a little book by a man uh, by Kelly Capic. It's called a little book for theologians, and he kind of explains the significance of what I'm talking about like this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. He said our concepts about the divine inform our, about the divine inform our lives more deeply than most people can trace. Whether we view God as distant or near as gracious or capricious, as concerned or apathetic, the conclusions we reach, whether the result of careful reflection or negligent assumptions, guide our lives. No matter how you came to the conclusion of who God is or what God is or what he thinks or how he operates or anything, they, what you believe guides your life. Okay, so neglecting the Bible, the reading of the Bible, leads us to assume God's character rather than actually knowing it. How many of you have had someone say something to you about a person and you go, I don't believe that because I know that person. Well, I heard what you heard is wrong because I know that person. We should be that way about God. We should be able to say when someone says something about God, we should be able to say, I know him and he knows me and you are wrong. Somebody said, well, won't I just start an argument? No, it should start a healthy debate and you should be able to witness for the cause of Christ, okay? So we need to know the truth of God's word if it's going to guide our lives. The second Consequence of Bible, uh, Bible illiteracy is that we wander from God's design and purpose for our life. I just said it a minute ago. God has a purpose for every one of our lives. He has a divine design for your life. He's put that inside of you. And when we don't invest in knowing and understanding God's word, we don't know our purpose. We can't live a life that's pleasing to him. It's not that I'm, I'm living like I have to live a certain way or God's going to strike me down. That's the, that's, that's the God I grew up knowing. Because that's why I was told God was that way. The first scripture that, I, that really hit me was that God was for me and not against me. That blew my theology right out of the water. Because I was always told, just step out of line and God will get you. I mean, right? Anybody ever have that kind of theology? And it's hard to come over from the other side, isn't it? To believe that God is not against you. He's for me? Wow. I mean, that just blew me away. Well, Hebrews eleven six says what? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. Okay. And so it says, to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Did you get the last part there? He rewards those who seek him. It's not like he's holding out a treat going, come on, come on. But he was saying those who choose willingly to seek him, to know him, he has rewards, he has things... He wants to do. He wants to bless. He wants to give that we don't know anything about. When God calls us to have faith, he doesn't call us to have blind faith. Please listen to what I'm saying because I've heard preachers say this before. Faith is just, you got to have blind faith and trust God. No. He calls us to trust him with what he has told us and what he has promised us in this word. He says, come and follow me. You remember the couple of disciples, a couple of men heard that from John the Baptist, Jesus was walking by and Jesus said, and, and John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb. And those two left John instantly and followed Jesus And after a while, Jesus turns to him and says, what is it I can do for you? And they said, master, where are you staying? He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests. He said, but the son of man doesn't even have a place to rest his head. But it says, he said, just come follow me. It was their choice. The only way they were going to learn about him was spending time with him. In fact, the scripture that says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've heard that so mispreached all the time because we hear about a yoke. We think of yoke of oxen or cattle or, or, or horses or whatever. The, Hebrew, the understanding there was that the, 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 was that the yoke was the teaching of the rabbi the teaching of the rabbi. He would say, take my yoke upon you. The the yoke that the world wants to give you, the the yoke of the law is too hard and too heavy. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, come and learn of me. He calls us to trust him with what he's promised, he's told us, And what his word tells us. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, if it's impossible to please God without faith, then I need faith. And the way that faith comes is by the word of God. Why? Because it reveals who he is. It reveals how he thinks, how he operates, how he moves, what he can do, what he won't do, all of those things. If I'm going to have faith in God, it takes this word. When we live by faith and seek him, we can understand his will for our life. I can't tell you how many years in a row the Christian Booksellers Association said the number one topic of the best-selling book year after year after year has dealt with people that want to know God's will. There was someone to tell them why they're here. And I'm not against other books. I'm not against teachers, not against authors and writers. If I did, then I wouldn't preach. But if you want to know God's will, if you're not looking in this book, you could, you could easily be deceived because you're going to take some author's idea or opinion or something that they've heard and regurgitated and put it out some other way versus this book. This is the holy standard, the plumb line that we're to judge the things that, that God says. James 1 James Obey the word of God. I don't open that book. How are you going to obey it? Then it goes on and says, If you hear only and do not act, you're only deceiving yourself. Now why does it say that? The next two verses, spell it out. For any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and once he does, he forgets what he looks like. See, if, if this is what it looks like to hear and not do, What would be said of Christians who fail to even hear or even read? That's why you can read this book and you can listen to it. You can read it over and over and over. And every time you do, something fresh and new pops up. And you're like, wow, when did you put that in there? I've read that before. I've never seen that before. Because now you're at a place where it applies to your life, or you're at a situation and God's opening your understanding and giving you revelation knowledge. Listen, if we don't listen, read, and seek to understand God's will, we'll walk through our life wandering from his divine plan and purpose for our life doing what he forbids, failing to do what he requires of us and leading a life that's not pleasing to him. And if I want to add one thing to that, that every believer, every person who professes the name of Christ, who's been born again, whether you read this Bible or not, you will one day stand before God. And when he asks you why, why? There Jesus said, there will be many who will stand before me and say, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We prophesied in your name. We healed in your name. And he said, depart from me, for I never knew you. He can't be known apart from this word. He can't be. The third Consequence of Bible illiteracy is that we don't declare his word to others. I know that sounds strange, but Psalms 119 verse 13 says, With my lips I will declare the decrees of your mouth. It's by knowing and loving God that the psalmist shares God's ways with others. Look what it says. I will declare... That Hebrew word declare means to make known or to announce. It's it's not like, like handing a note to somebody and say, here, I want to declare this to you. No, it's it's to make known or to announce. And and it the the purpose as followers of Jesus Christ is not about being better and living better lives. It's about glorifying God and doing his will for our lives. It's not about getting a, a, a badge for Bible literacy that you can go around and brag. I can quote 20, 10 books of the Bible. I met a man one time on the streets up in Seattle, Washington. In my early years, I was I think 19, 20 years old, 19 years old. And he was an avowed atheist, and he had memorized every line in this book. We were out on the streets walking and witnessing and come up, and he goes, he said, I'm an atheist. I said, you are. He said, well, God's word. He said, I could tell you what God's word says. Tell me what chapter and verse you want. And sure enough, he knew it. I had to pull out my little Gideon's Bible out of my pocket, (laughs) Tiger. And he's quoting it verse for verse. He said, I've I've memorized the whole thing. He said, in fact, I memorized it so I could argue with you Christians because you don't know it. I was like, wow. I was more than impressed. I was embarrassed. As Christians, how are we going to fulfill the great commission to go into all the world And preach the good news if we don't read it and we don't know it. What is it we're going to share? As Christians, we should take Bible literacy seriously because not knowing God's word means we're ill-equipped to fulfill the Great Commission. There's no way you can go out and do it. There's no way. I mean, I know years ago they used, to, they used to have a saying. I don't know if it's still around or not. They'd say, oh, you need something fixed, take it to so-and-so. They can fix anything. And they used to have a phrase, that he, they, they're a jack-of-all-trades, which usually meant they know a little bit about everything. And most people, I found, that made them dangerous, more than helpful. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, once in a while there'd be a person, boy, they know they do know a lot about a lot of a lot of stuff. But most of them just got a little bit of knowledge and they're just dangerous. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. They got a verse they've memorized, or they've got a verse that mama told them, or the preacher said, or or something like that. And imagine writing a Bible. I did this with teens one time when I was a youth pastor. We had a lock-in one night. Told them we are going to have fun and food and stuff like that. And I said, some special things. I said, bring your Bibles. They were like, "Uh." I said, just bring your Bibles. Don't worry. Got them all around. There was about 50 of them. And I had arranged for some men dressed with masks and fake guns. Couldn't do that today. (laughs) But they came in. And they wanted all the Bibles, and they put them all in in sacks. And they robbed the young people of their Bibles and ran out of the room. We had kids crying, kids laughing, kids just staring. Again, that was another day and age where you could do that kind of stuff. There were good days. (laughs) There were fun days. But then I had them get together. I said, now, I want you to write down in a notebook together every Bible verse you know and that's going to be your Bible I gave them like an hour and a half to work together they couldn't fill one page with complete verses I had things like there's a verse that says something about mm -mm, actual verse I don't care what translation what's the verse And what's the verse reference? And like 50 kids couldn't fill one page because they didn't know it. How are they going to share the Great Commission? How are they going to do what God's called them to do? If we don't know God's Word, we can't share it with others. And that means we can't make disciples of all nations. If we try and fulfill the Great Commission without knowing and sharing God's Word, we're not... We're not making disciples out for Christ. We're, we're making disciples out of our view of mo- what morality and worldly wisdom is. The fourth one is this. If, if we don't delight in God, well, let me put it this way. If we don't delight in God, we will end up substituting our affections for worldly gains. I didn't write that the way I wanted it. But we will end up substituting worldly affection for worldly gains, not godly gains, worldly gains. We'll substitute it. I I remember in science years ago that that, that if you take something out in a vacuum, there's something else going to be replaced. Something's going to be taken away. The best example, my mama worked for, when she was alive years ago, many years ago, she worked for Weight Watchers when Weight Watchers first got started. She used to hold those classes, and she paid me $5 for every class she went to, and I got to weigh the people in. You've never heard the excuses like I heard. I even could have had a side thing going because people would pay me if I wouldn't write down on the card that they had gained weight. (laughs) And my mom would always tell these people, you got to stick to the program. Because if you just take something away, you're gonna end up replacing it with something else. And if you don't know the program, look, it, you have to know in the beginning, that was the hardest program to follow. It was super hard. That's before they had points and free food and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about, I even had lunch in Mobile, Alabama with Gene Knightage who started Weight Watchers. As a teenager, I did. And that was a hard program, and and people would come in and say, well, I just stopped doing this, and I did this. Well, how'd you gain nine pounds? Well, I I quit eating this, and I started eating this. had a lady one time came in. She says, I don't know how I gained weight. I quit eating Snicker bars. I said, but you gained eight pounds. Well, Milky Way shouldn't do that. They don't have nuts. (laughs) That's what she told me. And I'm like, you need to stay for class. You need to learn the program. Snickers and Milky way that's the same category. I mean, I don't care what you say, you know. In fact, the nuts are probably the only healthy part of the candy bar. (laughs) Right? I mean, I was a teenager. What do I know, you know? The point is if we don't know God's word and we don't know God's character we will struggle in life to be in awe of God and live an overflowing in life of worship for him. You listen I'm just telling you people worship things worship gods that a god they don't understand. I'm convinced if we really, 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 really know him, worship comes easy. When, when, when worship, you've got to have worship choreographers who tell you when to stand, when to spin, when to jump, when to do. I'm out of here. You know, because when I'm worshiping, I'm worshiping the God I know and, and I can appreciate and love and just I'm blown away by his grace and his mercy and all of that. I mean, I'm just telling you, Psalms 119 verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Wow. If you just got a million dollars, and I said, brother, you just won a million dollars tax-free, can I get a jig? Can I get a little jump? Can I get a little shout? Don't forget to tithe. <laughs> All right. But how many of you think we go, okay, no, no. Come on now, who be jumping, who be shouting? Yeah, whoo, gone, right? This says, I rejoice in following your statutes, not statues. These are rules, regulations, God's word, God's law, as one who rejoices in great riches. Picture someone sitting in the treasure room floor with coin, gold coins all around and they're just picking it up and going, I'm rich, I'm rich. How many people do that with this book? And they go, whoa, God, that is awesome. The Bible says to delight in God's word. I, I, Brother Bobby, you, you're probably one of the few people in here who will remember this chorus years ago. It's when Scripture was put to song. Most of it was in King James. But there was one, it was a very simple one, and it began, I delight to do your will, O oh Lord. I delight to do your will. And then it was switched to a verse that's found in the, way in the back of the New Testament. And to walk with thee is not grievous unto me, for I delight to do your will. The psalmist says, I delight in your statute. I delight doing your will. I delight, but how can you delight in his will if we don't even know it? And and here's the thing. If we don't know it, then what we think is his will is grievous. It's hard. It's heavy. It's when you sit there and go, oh, man, it's the end of the day. I ain't read a verse this week. Oh, let me get a chapter in or Brother Bob will say something next week. <laughs> no. If that's your attitude, it's just, a, it's just a red flag telling you your life's out of order. Your life's out of order. You're delighting in other things. And, and this is the thing we need to understand. That if our delight is not in God and not in his promises and his commands of his word... Our worship is simply shifted to something or someone else. You were created to worship. You were created to worship. There is something inside of us that must release. Now, we do it in different ways. One one person, we can worship, we can worship just, just worship God sitting quietly and just, just enjoying his presence. And the person next to you could be dancing a jig and shouting and clapping and running around. Doesn't matter. Worship is worship. But we were created to worship. And if we don't know him and we don't know his promises and we don't know his character, then we will end up shifting our worship to something else that we're more familiar with with. I'm going to read you this quote by Paul David Tripp in a book, in a book called Instruments in the Redeemers. And it said, human beings by their very nature are worshipers. Worship is not something we do. It defines who we are. Think about this. You cannot divide human beings into those who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what or whom we serve. I remember the old Bob Dylan song. You got to serve somebody. I started to play that this morning, but, you know, showing my age when I do that, you know, but. But it was true. you got to serve somebody. You're going to worship somebody. It may be a king. It may be riches. It may be whatever. But you're going to serve somebody. If we are not filled and saturated with the word and constantly reminded of why we are worshiping him, our affections will shift from him to the things and people of this world. I... I hate when I hear Christians say this. Well, I'm just going to go to a different church because they got better worship over there. The problem is not the worship. Well, I won't say that. I've been in a few places where, yeah, it would be hard to worship because, but, but you know what? Most of the time, the problem's right here. And you can leave and go someplace else and you're taking everything you got here over there. And when that's not happy there, you're going to go someplace else and go someplace else to find someplace else. I'm just telling you the fifth thing, and I'm going to close. The fifth consequence of Bible illiteracy, and, and this is a powerful one, this is a strong one, is we forget his word and we are left without defense when attacked spiritually. Now, this is important. We cripple ourselves. We do it to ourselves. We cripple ourselves by not being prepared for the spiritual warfare that will come. Say, will come. It will come. And usually when you're not expecting it, he seldom will come against you. The enemy will seldom bring his forces against you when you're on a spiritual high. He's going to wait until you've tripped, fallen, you're in the valley, something like that. And then it's all hands on deck. He's coming with everything he has. And and a call to the pastor, a call to your friend, a call to uh, some lifeline somewhere that you're calling isn't going to do it. It's this word. This word. In, In Ephesians 6... We know if, well, I said we know. I don't know if you know because most Christians aren't reading their Bible. But I'm going to assume most everybody in here knows that Ephesians 6, Paul writes to the believers there about the whole armor of God. And the majority of the armor is for defense. The majority of it, okay? But in the last part, of Verse seventeen and ver- uh, chapter six of Ephesians it says this, and the sword of the spirit, which is the Word of God, it is in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter four that we see how when Satan attacks Jesus, what did he do? He waited till forty days had gone by without food in the desert and and he 's nearing the end of the fast and and he comes against him. And, and what does he do? Three times he tempts him. And three times, what does Jesus do? It is written. It is written. It is written. He didn't say, Do you know who I am? He didn't matter. He didn't care who you are. It's the word. That is a sword. It is your offensive weapon. And if we want to be able to stand against the spiritual attacks of the evil one, we have to do it the same way that Jesus did. It's the sword of the Lord, the word of God. And this is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time effort. It is a lifetime of growing in, in, in and understanding God's word. It's a lifetime. And you know, I was talking about the phones and stuff earlier. You are without excuse now, simply because you've got so many apps out there with the phone, on the phone that you can listen to the word whenever. You want to scroll? Scroll. Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, whatever. I mean, you can listen to it. Uh, Why? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. You want to really make it powerful? Listen to it and read it at the same time. It's a proven fact that the human brain, we remember X amount of what we hear audibly, period. Period. In fact, I could tell you that in less than 72 hours, y'all won't remember anything I said. That's so sad. For a lot of church people, it's when they leave the church. I used to stand at the church door when people left, and they'd shake your hand, and somebody would say, great sermon, Pastor. And one time I turned to him, I said, what would I say? And he looked at his wife and said, what he said?" I thought, he don't even remember that. I know you're not going to remember down the road. It's another thing when we read it, you'll remember more. But when we hear and read, we'll remember even greater and retention rate to, when they're done together. So you know some people they start reading and they're just like skimming through real fast like that, and you're missing those nuggets you're missing those things God wants but when you're having to listen along and read as along as it's being heard you're forced to focus it causes you to focus even more and there will things that will come alive off that page We need the instruction of God's word to prepare for the battles that will come. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Colossia, in Colossians chapter 3, and verse 2. He says, Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. Let me close with this verse of scripture. I've heard this misquoted most of my life. And it comes from the book of Amos. It's in the Old Testament. And chapter 8 and verse 11. And it says, And the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord. When I will send, notice it's God doing it. I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. I want you to see that last part the, of hearing the words of the Lord. It's a peculiar famine because he says it's not like food, it's not like water, it's not destructive in that nature, but it's destructive. How many of you know famines are destructive? And, and he said this is a famine that will strike the heart of people and the very fabric of society will begin to unravel. You know why we're seeing our society and culture and our world today unravel like we are? Why why is it that everybody feels like they can just go any which way they want, do anything they want, say anything they want? Because we've gone so far away from this. Even in churches today, even from pulpits today, we've moved away from what this word says to what some guru somewhere came up with three ideas for this, or seven steps for this, or whatever, when what we need is the Word of God. And, and, and notice that it does not say that there will be a famine of the Word of God. It doesn't say that. It will be a famine of hearing the Word of God. God's Word will still be available, but it will be rare that those, you will find people who will actually listen to it. So the truth will still be obtainable. It will still be accessible. But God says there's going to be a curse on the land. And the curse comes because they've not heard the truth. Now think of it in today's culture and society in which we live. What is happening in our world from from years, just how many, 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Those of us who are older, we, we know even further back how things are changing. And when you say, how did we get here from, from where we were? We got away from this. We got away from preaching the word of God. I remember, um, well, I won't say who it was, but so-and-so, uh, a minister called me one time and said, said, man, I got the best deal. You're going to love this. I said, what? And he said, "I got me a book that gives me five years worth of sermons, and is dated on the Sunday, and uh, that I need it so I know what I'm preaching every Sunday for the next five years." And I said, "Did God give you that?" He goes, "No, but man, it's scriptural. It's got everything." I said, "But what is the word of the Lord saying to you? For the, how does?" Who wrote that book know anything about your people, your church, your state, your city, your country? How do they know what's going on? They don't know. I said, we got a famine of hearing the word in the pulpits of our church. It's no wonder there's a famine in the pews of our church. Had an evangelist one time tell me, he said, I take December off and I go and pray. And I asked God for five messages. And I said, why? He said, because when I come, I'm going to do Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And he said, I'm going to preach those five messages in every church I go to for the next year. I said, you're not serious. He said, oh, I'm dead serious. And I'd had this man preach in my church before. And I told him, I said, you will never preach for me again. And he never has. I'm still cordial with them, polite with them. He said, I just believe God will give me that word I need for the churches I'm going to. I said, I would rather have a man or a woman who's been in their prayer closet and is willing to put aside those five messages and speak what God says needs to be spoken. I'm just telling you, there's a famine of hearing the word. And it's not just the people sitting out there. It's the people standing right here. We need to hear the word of the Lord. And it's this hearing that that is making us unaware of what's taking place. It is the hearing that includes f- focused, careful attention, taken to its logical conclusion, and ends in obedience. That's what the word hear means. James said, will you be a hearer only or a hearer and a doer? We we have to take it to its logical conclusion. The Hebrew word often used there is about obeying. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Listen, it isn't so much that God curses a nation. It is the turning of the people of a nation away from God that results in the fruit being a curse to the people. We reap what we sow. If the people of a nation turn away from God, the fruit of that comes to pass. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. Because without God's word as guidance, without God's word as light, then we're like a blind man, a drunk man, just stumbling around, not comprehending why they keep falling down. This last scripture, 1 John 5 and 3, he says, In fact, this is love for God. You want to know love for God? To keep his commands is that any more claim you want to know love for God keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome what would happen this is my my question to you as we close in prayer what would happen if we as professing Christians begin to really read this book And we would begin to apply it. Listen, I've taught a class before on how to read God's word. And I'm not against Bible reading plans where they try and get you to read the Bible in a year, and I think those are great. But a lot of times the goal is just to read X number of chapters. I would rather have you read one section. And then stop. You know, in my Bible, it's, it's done in paragraphs. I don't know about yours. Like in here, Matthew 26, from 36 to 46. Then stop and take a piece of paper and simply go, okay, what was the main thought that I gathered from that? Or thoughts? What was the one or two things that stood out from that? what was God trying to say by pointing that out and then ask how can I apply this to my life and I don't go on until I finish that part because otherwise I'm just speed reading through God's word to accomplish a goal of reading it through in a year But when you eat, you don't pick up the plate and go I hope you don't, right? Take a bite, chew it, hopefully. I've seen some of you eat. It's like, how much can you get in there? You have to stop and chew. But really, it's it's feasting and feeding on the word. It's bringing application. Because I don't want to be a hearer only. I want to be a doer. How does this apply to my life? And you know what I found? I've gone back over my notes years later. And because I've grown, the application that I had back then doesn't apply now but I see a different application out of the same verses for where I am now. You don't don't graduate from this school until you go to be with Him. And I want to know Him. Lord, we want to know You. We want to know You. We want to be people who are known by the fact that they know Jesus. They know the Jesus that's in the Bible, not a manufactured one to fit this decade. The Bible Jesus. I asked myself this question last night and I said, what would happen if after reading this word we would begin to obey it. And I thought and thought and thought, and one word came to mind, revival. See, we we want the shortcut version. We wanna bring in a worship team, we're bringing an evangelist, a prophet, or something like that, who's gonna lay hands on me, knock me out on the floor, and all that kind of stuff. And that's, I'm just gonna say, that's okay. This word is what you need. And I just wonder how many of you this week will make a specific change in your schedule to either begin to read or add a little extra time in this word. And if you're willing To do that I'm not going to check up on you I don't have any way but the Holy Spirit will if you're willing to do that I'm just going to ask you if you're able to do so just boldly just stand right where you're at and Holy Spirit's going to be taking names he's taking names it's important I don't care if it's five minutes more I don't care if you're just listening to it more. Turn off the radio. Put on God's Word. Father, First, I just want to say, Lord, we repent of our foolishness because we thought that somehow we could fulfill your commission and that we could be followers of your son Jesus without even reading or studying this word or hearing it. Father, I thank you that we have the privilege in this country of buying a Bible, having multiple Bibles, having it on our phones and tablets, computers. What a blessing that is. I remember when I'd spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars every year for software my computer to search things and study things and now god it's out there and doesn't cost me a dime i can study i can look up the words i can i can look up the meaning i can find out how this all fits together and what it is that you're saying and then ask the great most important question how does this apply to me at this point in my life how does this apply to us as a church? How does it apply to us as a nation? God, we need your word. Darkness is only present because light has fled the scene. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. Your word is the light that we need. Your word is that which casts darkness aside It's not a matter of being better. It's not a matter of fighting evil. It's a matter of ingesting your word into our life. And the light begins to grow, and the light begins to shine, and darkness runs from light. We fight so many spiritual battles because we're ill equipped. We don't know your word. Battles that would never happen. They might be instigated, but they'd be over so quickly because we know what your word says. And not only know it, we believe it. It's, It's become the very nature of who we are because that's the nature of who you are. Holy Spirit, you see the people standing across this place. God, I pray that you, you speak to them throughout this week. You show them what needs to be changed, what they can do. Father, That I just believe that, that by this time next week, there's going to be growth. There's going to be enhancement of your spirit in their life. There's going to be a, a glow that comes over them. Because they've spent time in this Word, hearing it, reading it, applying it in their life. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know you. The greatest thing is knowing you. To know you, Lord God. Just tell them right now, right where you're at. God, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to. I want you to bring that revelation understanding to my life. Holy Spirit, speak to me out of this word. Speak to me out of this word. Jesus. 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 Holy-
0: I don't want anyone
2: else. I don't
0: need anything else. You are my one thing. You are my one thing. I don't want anyone else. I don't need anything else. You are my one thing. You are my one. I don't want anyone else. I don't need anything else. You are my one thing. You are my one thing. I don't want anyone else. I don't need anything else. You are my one thing. You are my one thing. I don't want. And I don't need anything else You are my one thing 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 You are my one thing, you my one thing. Oh, so please world you can have all this world give me Jesus give me Jesus
2: you can have if you need prayer for anything please world. come pray with you right now. You're welcome to stay as long as you want, but we just welcome you if you need prayer for anything. Come and we'll pray for you.
0: So give me Jesus Give me Jesus You can have All this world you can have, all this world. and you are mine. Our love is a secret that I find. I'll been forever in the pleasure I found. Looking This world Oh my one thing you are my one thing you are my one thing you are my one